Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Ed the Celeb podcast, where we talk about Black girl blues, booze, and booze. Today, I have two very special guests with me, and we're going to start off with the bestie. How you doing, Ebony? Hey, good morning, everybody. My name is Ebony Monique Kemp. I am a married mother of two boys, Jabri, who is 24, and my Jeremiah, who is seven. Um, let's see. Girl, I- girl. <laughs> the large gap. I know. You were I almost know. free. You were almost free. I was. Give us us free. Um, I'm working towards that now. Um, let's see. I am a Jersey girl living in a Florida world right now. Mm-hmm. Um, living in Orlando. And my husband and I, my amazing, awesome husband, Claude, um, we um, are here for the foreseeable future. We like it here. Um, I am also by profession, a human resources manager. I have a bachelor's in economics and a master's in business administration in HR, working it out, been there for almost 20 years. Um, Yeah, just... Trying to live my best life these days. Tell the people where they can find you on Instagram. Okay. So the people can find me on Instagram at, at Sweet Ebby. Um, whole story behind that little nickname. But I'm surprised that I'm just Sweet Ebby right now. <laughs> no, no numbers after it. Just at Sweet Ebby. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for joining me and being willing to engage in this conversation today. Next we have, and I'm very um, careful to say this because, and she knows the story behind it, but I'll say one, one of my most favorite cousins, <laughs> um, her name is, she'll, she'll tell you her name, but I call her Manther, which sounds, I know, silly. But she has a bunch of nicknames in our family. And she's really, as I said last time about my other cousin, this is another one of my cousin cousins, like my real cousins, not like we grew up together <laughs> and I call them cousin cousins. She's my right. real cousin. So right. can you introduce yourself for us? Yes, absolutely. I am Samantha Taylor and I am also a wife. I also have two sons, but I also have a beautiful daughter. Um, my daughter is 15, my oldest son is 14, and then I have an 11-year-old son. Um, I have a bachelor's in education, but right now I currently homeschool my kids. I took some time off to homeschool my boys, um, so I can be very hands-on with them and help. And it's not just because of the quarantine, y'all. She's about that homeschool right. life. Yes, we've been three years in. We are three years in, so it's been, well, almost four years. It's been a really good experience. Um, but yeah, I'm just a, a wife, a stay-at-home wife and a homeschooler who just uh, spends her days educating her kids and, um, you know, doing what needs to be done. She's being modest, and I don't know if it's even my place to say this, <laughs> but I know for a fact that she just got, uh, she was just recently accepted where for what? I had just accept, got accepted into a master's program at William Patty School. I'm so excited about that. But, uh, Damn. Damn. Yeah, just, you know, little things, little things. <laughs> big things, big I things. I know, I know. But I also do hair. So I got, you know, some other talents there. 
Um, and you can find me on Instagram at Sam's underscore hairstyles08. And I will hook you up. <laughs> she's real bomb too. And she's saying that she'll hook you up, but she stay book booked. So, yeah, you know, she's a Jersey girl. So if you're in Jersey and you need your hair did, um, she might have an appointment for you by the end of the month or next month sometime. <laughs> June is filled. I'm sorry. <laughs> I see you in July. I hear you. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So I wanted to have this conversation given the current climate of of the world. And so we know we're all black women. We are very aware of how policing has been in our communities and to our people. And I think that we've even seen it in the movies that we've watched in the culture, right? How how we view police and when you think when I think about the movie Boys in the Hood, right? So we've been talking this is something we've been talking about for um decades and decades and probably now centuries. Um, but I often see the conversation geared around black men. And one of the voices that I don't often hear is from black women and black mothers. And so I guess my first question we'll start out talking about is how has, what has occurred recently with Amal Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, and the list goes on and on, but those recent things, particularly the George Floyd incident, um, how has that impacted you? What has been your thoughts and feelings and experiences since that has occurred? And whoever wants to go first. I'll talk, because it made me think of when you reached out to me via text and you said, how are you doing, friend? And I said, I'm doing, dot, 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 right? Because it was just too much to put into a text. And it, it had gotten to the point where I remember like I was on a, uh, a staff call with my direct reports and I was like, listen, I just want y'all to know I'm not okay right now, right? Because we as black mothers, we have to still keep going on, right? Like I still have to work or we still have to, you know, get in front of our kids and teach homeschool, whatever we're doing, like our day doesn't stop. Uh, we still are, you know, making sure our home is taken care of, but at the same time, we have all these emotions going on and it's like, I couldn't even put it into words. I, it came with um, anger, fear, confusion, sadness, right? I, I mean, and talk about us, you know, us, how empathetic we are. Um, we take on people's problems all the time. Um, but this was personal and it felt like our problem, not just somebody else's problem. And I think for me, it was just overwhelming because we were sitting and watching the news and my seven-year-old said, who's George Floyd? Is he a, like, why are they, why do they keep talking about him on the news? And he said, is he a, um, is he somebody famous? Like, is he a basketball player? Is he, you know, this was his logic and I had to say, no, he wasn't a basketball player. He was someone who was killed. And I was, at, you know, my first instinct was to um, monitor my words, right? To think about what I was going to say without just blurting it out because of how he was going to interpret it. But I was like, you know what? No, I'm just going to say it like it is. I had to deal with the consequences and the questions that come afterwards. But it was like, he was somebody who was killed by the police. 
And then the follow-up question is, well, why would the police kill him? And I had to try to then relate that to, because y'all know me, we've already talked about, you know, the history of Black people in America. We read a lot in this house. So we've read books and he knows history. But now it was like, but this isn't just history. Exactly. Right. This is today. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it was confusing for him. And it, that, then that just made me even more sad. <laughs> um, so that's, I've just been all over the place. And the same, it's been really challenging for me because um, even though this isn't the first, you know, there's been a lot of things going on. Um, when I was sitting in my room, just processing it all, I, I, I was overcome with fear because, you know, my oldest son, he'll be driving in a few years. Um, and just the thought of something so simple from, you know, inches, like just a simple decision. And like, instead of putting it here, I could put it here. Um, not being heard, um, be, then being so prideful. And, and in my mind, um, he didn't move it because he didn't want to be told what to do. You know, you got people on the sideline, like, move your foot off his feet, he can't, you know, it's like, you know, but just exactly. things, that, that power struggle at any moment, my son, my husband, my brothers, my uncles could be in the same situation and then they're gone. There's no turn back. If we could choose why our children are famous, this is not how we want it to happen. And so um, it, it was just a lot for me. And like you said, as mothers, we kind of have to keep going. We have to be there calm. So I have two sons. They're very different. My oldest one is an overthinker. He processes everything. He's, he pays attention to everything. Um, and so he's the question asker. He's like, all right, well, mom, well, why would they do that? And what was the situation? And, you know, and so he has a lot of questions. Some of the questions I don't have answers to. That's another challenge. I, I don't understand it all. So um, it, it can be very overwhelming. And then you're constantly checking because you don't want your child to be overwhelmed. While I make sure that they, they're not constantly staring at their phones, but that couple of minutes they're being fed at TikTok, they're being fed at Instagram, Facebook, whatever, it's constantly the videos being shown. People are talking and they're processing it. And I don't ever want it to be too much for them. You know what I mean? So it's like, don't worry about it. Let's stay prayed up. We're giving them, you know, our spiritual view of things, um, which can be very different from what is really happening. Like, you know what I mean? And so it's like, it can be very challenging and scary. It's scary and constant like prayer, like them to be in those situations because what else, what is the other option other than prayer? Like what, what else, what other tool do I have to protect them when they're away from me? What else do I have? So it, it's scary and challenging. Yeah, you bring up a good point. And this is something that Ebony and I talked about recently. Um, you said, what else do I have to protect them with when they're away from me? And Ebony, you have mentioned to me a couple of times that um, you have this uneasiness if, if you haven't seen your oldest son yeah. come in the house at a certain time. So, you know, having a 24-year-old, you know, he's still in school right now and working and recently decided, you know, he wanted to be on his own. So he no longer lives with me. 
And it's different for me than when he first went away to college and was living on campus, which you assume is more of a controlled environment. Um, but now he's in an apartment, you know, living his own life. And prior to this, when he was living with me and he was still in school and working, I knew his schedule, right? And so I knew he pretty much had school in the morning and then he worked in the afternoon um, until the evening and would be home around 10.30 p.m. every night. And when, 10, when it got close to 10.30, my anxiety, right, was like, is he gonna come home on time? And when he wasn't there, when I thought he should have been there, I'm texting, I'm calling, hey, where are you? Are you okay? You know, that's no way to live, but that's how black mothers have been living since we were brought here to America, right? Um, not knowing what was gonna happen to our child. And I was just like, wow, like I've been doing this for a long time because my son has been driving for a long time, right? Um, from the time he got his license, it was the same thing. Where, where should he be and is he there? And now that I can't put eyes on him every day, this is so hard. And people go, you know, you just gotta let him go and trust God and all this kind of stuff. And, and in my mind, that's still my baby. Yeah. Right. And, you know, for those of you that know my story, you know, I was a, a teen mom, a very young teen mom. So me and Jabri, we grew up together. Like in Jabri, I was a mother before I was a wife. I was a mother before I graduated from high school. I was a mother before I graduated from college and got my degrees. I was a mother before I started my career. So that holds significance to me and is actually what pushed me to do the other things that I've done, right? So to me, that's one of my most important roles and I take it seriously. So when I, I can't, without a shadow of a doubt, know that my son is okay and there's maybe hours in between, because I can't go days. Even with him being gone, I'm like, we FaceTime more ever now than we've done in the past. But it's like, I need to know. And that's the only thing that puts me at peace. And I'll, I'll share this and then stop talking. So last night I called him just, you know, I wanted to check up on him, wanted to hear his voice and ask him a few questions. And when I called, I, I heard him crying, right? And it was just like, you know, my heart was like, because I didn't know what was going on. And I was like, okay, first off, I just need to know, are you okay? Then I can, you know, we can work through this. And he was like, mom, I'm okay. I just got heavy today, right? And we gotta remember our men, yeah, we teach them how to be tough and brave and all this other kind of stuff, but they are humans and they have emotions. And this is just a time where he was emotional because of just everything that's happening in the world. And he was like, you know, one of the things that he said was bothering him and was heavy on him is like, I shouldn't have to be afraid to leave the house. I'm going to work at night and one of his um, uh, headlights is out because it's a wire issue and not just a bulb issue, right? And I was, he was just like, you know, I'm doing what I need to do. I ordered the part. I'm just waiting for it to come in. But I'm afraid to drive at night with this headlight out because I could get pulled over. And then I feel like I would have to be the one to de-escalate 
the situation to prove that I don't mean any ill intent, that I'm, you know, I'm going to work, right? It's like the overemphasis of who you are and who you are not. And in trying to prove that, and he was just like, I hate that I have this fear. And I was just like, you know, how do you respond to that? Because in the moment now, I, but I, I have that same fear, right? But I have to comfort him as a mother. And then I'll deal with my fear and how I'm feeling afterwards because I have to take care of my child first. So then I'm telling him, well, we control the controllables, right? That's my husband's favorite line. So we're going to get the headlight fixed. Let's focus on those things. But at the same time, let's speak life. Don't manifest something into existence, you know, in your mind by thinking negatively. But we know, you know, but we all know it's possible, right? But you want to continue to speak life. And I, I was like, Jabri, I mean, talk, just trying to encourage him how talented he is and don't let these things get you down. Don't ever let anybody steal your joy, right? We've been hearing that for the, you know, as long as I can remember the old folks. Baby, don't let nobody steal your joy. Don't let nobody steal your peace. And, and it goes back to something Samantha said earlier where she said they're bombarded with these images and this narrative in the media, social media, talking to their friends, uh, it's just constant. And I'm like, you have to balance that with something that brings you peace. I know what brings me peace. So I was like, listen, maybe you got to read a romance novel. Maybe you need to go, you know, sit, you know, the beach by yourself, something that will balance all of the images and things that, you know, we've seen. Yeah, absolutely. And Samantha, before you jump in, I just wanted to make sure we were clear that Ebony, you were saying that your fear at 1030 at night wasn't, did he get sick? Did he, you know, it wasn't about something bad happening at work. It was, I hope he didn't get pulled over by the police. Absolutely. And, and that was a constant fear. So it was 1030 in our recent routine. It might've been another time before that. And it goes back to what you said, Ebony. It's not because of what we've heard. It's because of what we've seen and what we have experienced ourselves. Like we can all talk about instances where we have either been pulled over by the cops, where we've been followed in the stores and harassed. I remember campaigning when I was in college and uh, we were campaigning, I think for Clinton and a cop literally pulled over, yelled at us. It was like a group of five of us and spit, you know what I mean? So the disrespect is there. I remember being in a car with my dad and being pulled over when I was a teenager and they were, a, you know, it was like, why are y'all out so late? You know, it's, it's, we don't, it's, it's, it's as if we don't deserve the same respect as others. So this comes from not just the stories that have been passed down, but our personal experiences. We have family members who have been killed by the police, mm -hmm. right? Let's not forget about that, right? This isn't just a, we're watching the news and jumping on a bandwagon. No, we're tired. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And, you know, my, my sons are in the home, in my home and they're young, but my husband, I have that fear for him because he works at night. 
And he comes home at three o'clock in the morning. And even though he hasn't expressed that fear to me, I have it for him. <laughs> you know what I mean? So when he's leaving, I'm like, be safe. And he comes home every night around nine o'clock for dinner. And before he leaves, it's like, let me kiss you. You know what I mean? And that's, that's a challenge in itself. Like, you know, it's not like he has some uh, dangerous job that I should be worried that he may not come home. You know what I mean? It's just, he's going to supervise and he should be able to come home safe every single night with no worries. But um, that's not always what I feel in my, you know, I feel. So I have to pray for him when he leaves out the door and, you know, different things like that. And it's, it's frustrating that I know a woman who doesn't look like me isn't having that fear in most cases. So it's just, it's, it's frustrating. I, and um, going back to when we talked about like, what else do we have? I know that my other tool is what I teach them. And so it brings on hard conversations that I feel takes their innocence, but they're necessary. So we've had so many conversations um, where it's just like, all right, well, this is what you do and you don't need to resist or fight and always stay calm. And, you know, and they're looking at me like, well, why, you know, all that, I know my rights and I don't do any of that. And, you know, be the, the young man that your father raised you to be and, you know, all that. And it's just, it's, it's tough conversations that, it's just not fair, but I know I have to have for them. And I want, and they're, and they're reiterated often. So if they're ever in a situation, they can go back and hear my voice, you know what I mean? And hear me telling them what to do right. And, you know, and just being yourself isn't wrong, but in some cases, people just show up and be themselves and it's wrong. And that's hard to articulate to your children, like that someone could think you're wrong just for showing up and being yourself, being who you are and you're black and brown skin. So um, it's frustrating to have those conversations, but so important. Those are the tools that I feel like I can, I can relax a little bit knowing that when they leave the house, they have those tools. But I also know that sometimes that's not enough. You know what I mean? You have someone who's in their car registered to carry and all they want to do is just show you that I did all the right steps and still lose their life. So it, it can be so challenging because what is, what is the right answer when these people or some people have decided that just who you are is bad or just who you are isn't enough um, to take your word for certain things? It, it, it's challenging. <laughs> it made me think of when you were talking, Samantha, uh, this quote I've seen on social media or people are using now in the protest. Like, when do our our children, specifically our black boys, go from being cute and adorable to a threat, right? And uh, other mothers don't have to think about that, right? And our boys seem to become a threat much earlier than others, right? It's like, oh, well, he looks so much older than he was, or he was so tall, right? You look, look at some of these quotes, um, you know, like the quote from the cop that killed Tamir Rice and, you know, some of the other kids. And it's like, when, do, when is that? And we don't know. So another thing we have to be concerned about. And it's, you know, everybody's talking about the talk. I saw this um, commercial yesterday from um, Procter and Gamble. 
and they have this commercial going now about um, the talk, right? And it's a, uh, you know, you look at, you know, I guess back in the day, and then we're still having this talk now. And people are talking about, you know, how um, systemic racism doesn't exist. This is evident. We are still having this talk and there's still this culture of aggressive policing, specifically in our communities and our kids, <laughs> right? It's not just the men. I mean, we, yes, we concerned about our, our fathers and our brothers, but even our babies. It's like, why can't I, as a mother, have comfort in bringing a child into this world and knowing that my son is going to live a fulfilled life, to grow old, have his own family, you know, live out the things that we've taught him in terms of faith, family, you know, truly living. But it may be cut short because somebody sees him or perceives him as a threat. I don't want to live in a society like that. I just don't. Yeah, absolutely. And I was going in that direction too. There's two things actually you said, Sam, that I want to um, touch on and hear your opinions about. I, as you know, I'm involved in everything in a million organizations and I was in a meeting on Tuesday night. And um, of course, everybody wants to talk about this incident. And so the first issue is the person who's not a black person, who want, who's the, the current um, leader of the organization. She said, you know, I want to give some space for us to talk about this. Um, she's like, so Ebony, and, and she said the other black lady's name, did you want to say anything? So first try. <laughs> like, really? So you want to start like, calling out the only two black people in the room or in the Zoom, right? Um, but then she went on to say how she had uh, to have a conversation with her daughter and her daughters were, and she said she didn't know how to have the conversation because they don't talk about that kind of stuff. Because she's like, because my daughter's so young and her daughter's six. She said, my daughter's so young, so um, we don't really talk about this kind of stuff. And I had to talk about it with her. Um, and she said, and she said something that just hit me so hard because I never looked at it that way. And she said, so mommy, you mean a, um, a police officer killed another human? And then she goes, and I just never looked at it that way. And so my first response to her was, it'd be so nice if we could protect our children's innocence and not have to have these conversations with them too, right? I said, I, said, I find it insulting that you would say, oh, I don't have this conversation with my daughter because she's so young when we have to have these conversations with our children. And I said, and I'm so glad you finally came to the realization that Black people are human. Right. It, it, it's 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 frustrating because um it's like the situation that they feel if you don't discuss it it doesn't exist or if we don't acknowledge it we don't have to take parts of you know our hands are clean we just you know and we don't have that luxury of not discussing or talking about these things because they they're an issue but everybody's got to take some accountability. Like, it's not just our issue. It's, it's everyone's issue. And if everybody kind of addresses it from that 
standpoint, I think we can really start finding some solutions or at least work towards things being a little bit better. You know, I was having a conversation with my father-in-law, the chaplain for uh, the state of New Jersey, and he works with like the FBI and all that. And they're, they're um, I want to say this without overstepping, but they're, sometimes we get to a space where we get in certain rooms and all of a sudden things become um, not so hard, you know, and now we can be, you know, well, you know, all lives do matter and, and things of that nature. And we just can't forget, like we, no matter where we are or, you know, how far we move up in success or whatever, we always have to be mindful of the fact that no matter how successful you become, how much money you earn, who knows you, who you know, it, it won't stop that one police officer who has no idea who you are from being intimidated by you. You know what I mean? I watched the episode of um, T.I. and Tiny a while ago and T.I. was coming to his house and it was like late night and the security guard wouldn't let him in his own home because he didn't think he belonged there. And he's like, I, like he's literally arguing with this man trying to prove to him that he belongs in a home that he paid for. You know, who are you to decide I don't belong there? <laughs> you know what I mean? These are the little things. Like, so don't assume that once you uh, reach a certain status or caliber um, that all of a sudden it's no longer your issue or if you, don't, if you don't see it every day or if your cousin wasn't killed or if your boyfriend didn't experience it, that, you know, not my issue. I don't have to do, you know, it's all of our issues. You know what I mean? We all have to deal with it. You know, that made me think of, so I, um, I have, you know, quite a few friends who are, you know, high level executives, right, in multiple corporations across the, the U.S. And they too, <laughs> you know, have this issue. I remember, you know, one of my friends was telling us a story about how he pulled up to a gas station now, you know, after hours, that this, he's an executive, but after hours, he's in his Mercedes, you know, S550 or whatever he has, clean. And he always has it clean, right? Him and his boys hanging out, and they pull up to the gas station, but they got on their polo, you know, they Ralph Lauren, they got on their, you know, Jordans or whatever else they have on. And the gas attendant called the police. As if like, I don't know if they thought the car was stolen or they were gonna come in and rob the gas station, who knows? But again, a couple of black men, black professionals, right? Who had to deescalate, right? Cause now the cops come based on what they're told, but also, you know, their own feelings. And thank God, I think, you know, it was a black officer there as well, um, but gotta deescalate to prove who you are and you gotta say, no, you know, this is my car, you know, this is what I do and explain away. But what about, you know, the young guy who's in a regular car, maybe he doesn't, you know, he's not some executive. Maybe he only, you know, he work at a sneaker store and, you know, he's hanging out with his boys. Like there's not one way to be black, right? We all have a, a different story. But it seems like we all have this one thing in common. 
Not this one thing. It's several other things, but we have this in common. Absolutely. And, um, and I hate for this, I mean, this is a heavy conversation, but a necessary conversation. And I'm not trying to remove hope um, from us, but, you know, thinking about um, the other thing Sam said about the tools we have. I have prayer and then I have what I teach them. And then, you know, you, you came back around to saying, but at the end of the day, my prayer may not be enough. And that education may not be enough. And Ebony, you talked about, you know, how we prep the talk, right? You stay calm, even though the situation doesn't call for calm. Like you stay calm, you say, no, sir, yes, sir. You keep your hands visible. You can do all of that, right? If if we think at the George Floyd video, the whole, you know, we saw both pieces of the video. He was compliant. He was compliant. He was to the point where he was on the ground, handcuffs behind his back, legs held down by another officer. And still the outcome happened. And I think about, you know, there there has been a lot of people um, who do this whole respectability politics in the black community, right? If you don't wear your pants sagging down, if you uh, stop using slang, if you're not, if you don't look like a thug, um, then you won't have to worry about the police. Then you might be able to get a respectable job, then, right? That there, that there's this belief that there's a certain way or a certain amount of education or a certain amount of status that I can obtain to not fall victim to the impact of racism on black people, right? I can earn my way out of racism. I can, you know, educate my way out of this experience. And at the at, at the top of the day and the end of the day, right? There's really nothing. <laughs> well, yes, I used to. I actually used to subscribe to that, right? And you knew that, and I think that was a point of contention. Um, not real contention, but we would go back and forth, right? So, for example, right? I, it was like, you know you know, just dress in a certain way, act in a certain way. Um, But I think part, some of that was, you know, taught to me and it was part of, you know, what I thought I wanted, right? And striving to and wanted, wanting to, you know, break the glass ceiling and, you know, be this corporate executive and all of that. Um, Even down to where you and I would talk about names and it was like, well, you know, if your name, a name, you know, more. Shaniqua, Lakeisha, come on, you know, like, yeah. You know, don't name your kids that. Name them, you know, something that that's going to help them. And the, the older you get, the more you realize, I don't care if you name your kid red, right? Or blue, right? It's, it, it's not going to help. They, their name could be John. Right? <laughs> then their name could be George. I say George. Say <laughs> George is very George. And you know, it, it, you, you just we got to keep on living, and things we learn. But I think that's what we all have to just be open to to all of that, and then just understanding it's like we feel like as Black people, I think we have very little control over some things. And you and I have talked about this, Ev. So you know. So if we can control, you know, well, I'm going to name my kid what I want, right? Is where we feel like we have very little control or creativity over things. But it was just an eye opener. Like none of that, none of that matters. 
it can be taken from you in an instant. It's like, okay, well maybe you might be the, the one of the few that they let through. One of the few that they hired, right? One of the few, um, y'all were talking about something that made me think of um, how these, you know, now you're seeing a lot of corporations now um, making statements and and it's like we've been going through this for so long we like that's cute and all but put your money where your mouth is right why aren't you hiring more of us why aren't you promoting more of us why um, do your policies and practices still perpetuate you know some of these things so it's like you're right a lot of this it doesn't even matter and that brings about more fear and anxiety in raising kids today whether it's the boys or the girls right it's all we see it i, I was thinking the other day um about sandra bland because i saw her picture again and it was like and i was <laughs> i think i was talking to jabri about it and it was just like it was either jabri or claude but like here it was, she was getting ready to drive off, like just give her, her the ticket, whatever you're gonna do. But you got mad because she wouldn't put out her cigarette in her car, right? Because you're not obeying me, gal. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. yep. I'm like, we got a fear for ourselves. So with me, it ain't a cigarette. Maybe my music gonna be too loud or maybe whatever it's like when you get sick and tired, you know, back to your point, Samantha, about complying and maybe it's just who you are, right? And even as black women, it's like, what are we? We're loud, we're aggressive, we're bitchy, we're, you know, whatever. And it's like, y'all already have your mind made up about who we are. And we are all individuals. Yes, some of us are aggressive. Yes, some of us are bitchy, but some of us are not. Like we're, we're all individuals. Yeah. And I was just watching something recently where a guy said something that was so simple, but so profound. He was like, I think the difference is when the police stop a white person, it is to enforce the law. But when they stop us, it is to control us. It, so, you know, they walk up to their car, like, you know, you ran a red light, you know, <laughs> you're not supposed to do that with us. It's like, hands on the dash, you know, it's automatic. I got to control you. I have to control you. Um, and that takes me back. I wanted to comment on what you said about if you just do a little more, if you just, you know, wear your hair like this or dress, <laughs> but that's a problem because it tells us that what they do to us is our fault and we need to yes. change. We, and we're the reason why. So that's why when ours get murdered, they're digging into what they could have did. He sold drugs and she, you know. Yeah, drugs in the system, yes. None of that matters. What did he do to deserve death? That's what matters. But we're constantly in a situation where it's like, you're at fault. Well, what did you do to bring that on? Nothing, just sit in this car and be black. You know what I mean? Just, it, it's, it's not fair to have to tell your son this is what you have to do so that they don't kill you. Because you know there's something in their mind that is registering that as, it's kind of my fault if they do. Yeah. 
maybe I didn't do what I was supposed to do. Maybe I didn't say what mommy and daddy told me to say. And just that weight alone is heavy. It's heavy to carry. Like, let me make sure I do everything right. So my life is valued. And, you know, I, it, it, it just doesn't, it isn't fair to put, put the blame on the people who are being hurt and affected and um, just pushed down. I, it, it's, it's not fair. Um, what we have to see in the news, you know, it's constant. What did they do? You know, and you know, some of them may be saying it in the background, like, as soon as it comes up, well, he probably was resisting, you know, he probably was fighting and it just, it constantly puts the blame on the victim. And it's just not fair. We should be able to be as black as we want. I also read something recently that was saying there's no other race that has to deal with you are too black. You know, you don't hear you too Asian. You too Indian, you don't hear any of that, but you hear you too black. And so that's another thing that makes us feel we have to suppress who we are. We Head on over to the Empty Celeb YouTube channel where we continue the conversation and tune in next week for part two. Remember to follow me on Instagram at I am the Celeb. And as always, please remember to mind your mental health because it is so important. Thanks for tuning in.